Over the years here living in Phoenix, I have made countless trips to the Sky Harbor International Airport. I'm sure the miners have too, since you're pilots, you go there quite often, right? Um, but I, I don't know how many times. I mean, I'm, I'm sure for, for me, hundreds, hundreds, maybe more over the years. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, one of the reasons we go there so often, in addition to seeing people flying into Phoenix and you know, uh, staying with us or flying out for different uh, conferences and that, is that uh, my son, oldest son Andrew, works at Sky Harbor, and he has his own car and stuff, but, but, but quite often he gets a day off or two, and he takes advantage of his flight benefits, and he flies all over the world. Two days off, and he'll fly to Australia. I kid you not. And he's back, you know, 48 hours later. But he'll be say, Dad, you know, can, can you drop me off? Dad, can you, can you pick me up Monday at 10? And, and so I've made countless trips to Sky Harbor. And I have to admit something to you. I have to get it off my chest. And what that is, is that even though I've been there hundreds of times, I still get nervous driving the closer I get to Terminal 4. I'm nervous because I, I, I want to make sure I'm in the correct lane. And, and, and what happens is the signage, in my opinion, is bad. And then you have these huge overpasses where the planes taxi above, like the miners are up there you know, crossing a plane over above your head. Um, but then you get through that, and, and you have like two seconds, arrivals, right lane, and, and what goes through my mind is this. I, I confuse arrivals and departures. And I think, aren't, isn't everyone coming to the airport arriving? Right? Maybe it's just me. <laughs> well, today as we wrap up our sermon series, uh, Jesus, the Son of God, a life like no other that changes our life forever, we're calling it departure like none other. Departure like none other. But my question is, is it a departure like none other? Or is it actually an arrival like none other? It kind of depends. If you are among one of the disciples on the ground, it sure looks like a departure. But if you are among the saints in heaven along with the angels in heaven, along with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit... It's very much an arrival back to heaven. Now, the early church called this Jesus' ascension, ascending back to heaven from where he came 33 years earlier. It was a big deal to the early church. In the early church, when I say early church, I'm, say, I'm, I'm talking the first 300 years of Christianity. There were two major Christian holidays, holy days, can you name one of them? Somebody said Christmas. Wrong. It was not Christmas. Nothing wrong celebrating Christmas, right? The angels did, the shepherds did. But that wasn't one of the major church holidays in the first 300 years. Another major holiday? Easter, okay? Easter, Jesus conquering the dead. The two major Christian holidays were, were Easter and Ascension. It was a big deal. We know exactly 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he physically ascended back to heaven. So my question to you is, to the world, this doesn't matter. Ascension is no big deal. It's not believed. But is Jesus' ascension a big deal to you? And if it's not, my goal by the end of this message is that it's a huge deal to you. 
Understanding the significance of Jesus' ascension is a life changer. It was for the, the first disciples, and it is, it is, is that, that way for us as well. So this is how I'm going to approach the text. It's a very, very simple approach. I want to give you the meaning of Jesus' ascension, his departure like none other. We're going to explore that a little bit. And then finally, its implications for us. The very fact that, that Jesus has ascended back to heaven and all things are under his authority. First of all, its meaning. What does it mean that Jesus ascended back to heaven? Or what's the meaning of this departure like none other? Literally in the text, Jesus goes to the vicinity of Bethany, which is really close to the Mount of Olives. So the, the hymn we sang was very accurate. So you have Mount of Olives, Bethany as a hill. And, and he's physically blessing them. And he ascends. He starts going up into the air. And we're told that a cloud envelops him. Literally, the, the cloud envelops him and then lifts him up. Now, I was a little boy in the mid to late 60s. And um, I remember sitting with my brother and sister who were older and watching black and white television of the Apollo launches, the rockets. How many remember that? Right? And it was thrilling. I remember as a little boy just being so thrilled. And it was like, you know, the, bro- the, the broken speech and the static and, you know, the apostles talking. Apostles, the astronauts, excuse me. Um, Apollo space mission, not apostles. Boy, I'm having a hard time this morning. No, but being thrilled, again, uh, the, 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 the rockets launching. And I'm sure that's what my, my thinking was. When I learned about the ascension of Jesus in Sunday school, I'm like, Jesus was the first astronaut. Right? He didn't have a rocket, but his, his body went up, and it kept on going up. And, and I picture Jesus like, you know, getting so small because he's so high up that he, he leaves the atmosphere and that Jesus is somewhere in outer space. That's not what the ascension of Jesus is all about. Now, it wasn't just me that thought that. Back in 1961, the very first cosmonaut, he was from the, the Soviet Union, his name was Yuri Gagarin. And Yuri Gagarin was the first human to orbit our planet. And he orbited uh, the Earth for 109 minutes before he ascended back to Earth. Now, because of the Soviet Union, because the, the Communist Party and the Soviet Union did not believe in God, atheists, uh, one of the questions that, that they asked him after he landed was, Yuri, so did you see God up there? And Yuri's answer was, I went into space but I, I did not see God. And that became a propaganda thing. See, there's no God. There's no Jesus up there in outer space. So when you think of Jesus' ascension, yes, he physically rose. But he didn't go to outer space. Now, what throws people off is the word heaven, right? It says in verse 51, it says this, that while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. The Bible uses the word heaven in a plural sense, heavens. Heavens would mean outer space, right? That's not what's used here. There's where the birds fly our atmosphere. There's heavens where the, the, the rest of the universe resides. But then there's God's perfect heaven, where God dwells in full glory all the time with, with believers who have preceded us in death, with the full company of good angels, And people are being added to that number every day. 
as they live out their earthly lives. Jesus went back there, the very place that he resided from all eternity in full glory, the very place that he stepped out of 33 years before our text when he entered this world. Now, something else that uh, Jesus' departure like none other was not, it was not a loss of his leadership, influence, or presence here on earth. Think about that. The original disciples initially thought this is a huge loss. They were attracted to Jesus because he taught like none other, right? He, he proclaimed everything he said was a word of God, so he's the ultimate prophet. And they're like, initially, Jesus, you are the teacher, Rabboni teacher, and you're going back to heaven? That's a loss for us. Or, thinking about how unique Jesus was, uh, quite a charismatic person, people attracted to him, and his, his followers, his faithful followers, okay, so you're leaving us. Again, what a loss to us. Or, or think of Jesus, he was all-powerful, being in the boat with Jesus and taking on the huge storm, they think they're going to drown, they wake Jesus up and he calms the, the storm instantly. And they're thinking, okay, Jesus, you protected us. You're our strong Lord. And now you're leaving us. We will be unprotected. They may have thought that, but it wasn't the case. Jesus' ascension back to heaven does not mean loss of his leadership, influence, or presence in the world. In fact, it was about to increase. I want to take you back to the very first uh, Easter, and, and I preached on this a few weeks ago, so the, the first human being who saw Jesus raised from the dead was who? Mary Magdalene. Remember, she went with the other women, and the body's not there, the tomb is empty, the angels are there, they're not making the connection. The other women run back, Mary is outside crying. Sun's coming up, it's still dark. She sees a person that she thinks is a gardener, but it actually is Jesus. And uh, Jesus says, Mary. And she knew instantly from the sound of, of his voice, it's Jesus. So she runs over to him and she clings to him. And, and it's kind of strange to us when we hear this, because it, it, it's, it reads kind of like this, that uh, Jesus tells Mary, Mary, don't hold on to me, because I have not yet returned to my father. Go tell the others that, again, uh, I've conquered death, I'm returning to my father. It almost sounds like, you know, don't hold on to me, something bad will happen to you if you hold on to me. That's not the case. Because Jesus allowed other disciples, including Thomas, to touch him. Right? Is I the Lord your God? I'm not a ghost. I have flesh and, and, and bones. And he, he said, touch my hands. So Mary, the idea of Mary was she thought she lost Jesus at his death. Right? We say that. I, I lost so-and-so, meaning they died. When he came back to life, she didn't want that to end. She was clinging to him like for forever clinging to him, and Jesus had to finally say, Mary, it's okay. You can let go of me. Let go of me, Mary. Trust me. After I ascend to heaven, I will be closer to you than ever before. So again, uh, Jesus' ascension did not mean loss of leadership, influence, or presence on the earth. And what did Jesus tell his disciples as he's ascending? I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. His departure also was not an end to his ministry, 
Again, we say Jesus, Son of God, three and a half year ministry, you know, inaugural year, popular year of rejection. His ascension, though, was basically Jesus entering a new phase in his ministry, taking his ministry to new heights like never before. And, and, and it has continued. His ministry has not ended. Now, what did end at his ascension into heaven is what's called his state of humiliation. The Bible teaches that in order to save us, the infinite, glorious God had to lower himself, humiliate himself to be born into this fallen world. And Jesus, being very nature God, did not consider his equality with God something to be grasped. He wasn't like, you know, I'm a heavyweight champion of the world bragging about the fact that he's God. He humbled himself, and we're told that he humbled himself to the very point of death. Now, when Jesus ascended back to heaven... His humiliation was completely over. Jesus put it this way in what's called his high priestly prayers recorded in John 17. Jesus, one of the last prayers that he prayed before he died, and and Jesus looked to heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus had work to complete, work of humiliation. Nothing more humiliating than the creator of the universe dying for his creation. And when Jesus reached the point of having suffered for some six hours on the cross to pay for our sins, when Jesus said to Telestai, it is finished, his work of humiliation was over, right? He died, he was buried, he rose on the third day, and the very fact that he is brought up, ascended back to heaven, it tells us that the days of humiliation are over. Jesus came the first time to bear a crown of thorns, to be raised up on a cross to die. When we see Jesus for the first time for us, but the the second time he returns, it's no longer humiliation. We're going to see the full glory that has always been in the person of Jesus Christ. Full glory with all of his angels. Again, um, his work of humiliation is over. Now also, his ascension back to heaven, it completes the resurrection. Let me explain it this way. If Jesus had died, but had not been raised back to life on the third day, his death would have been meaningless, correct? 1 Corinthians 15, if he had not been raised from the dead, our faith is in vain. But the very fact that Jesus rose, his resurrection completed his death. His death was now over, right? But... Jesus then, for 40 days, gave many convincing proofs to all of his followers, 500-plus people, that he was alive. But if Jesus had not ascended back to heaven, his resurrection would not be complete. So the very fact that Jesus kept the timetable, 40 days, he finished that, and the very fact that he has returned to heaven, it completes the resurrection. Now, also, who is Jesus? He is a king. Pilate, when he questioned Jesus, so you claimed, are you a king? 
And Jesus said, yes, this is true. Now, kings, what do they do with the throne? They ascend to the throne. A month and a half ago, we were in London. We went to Westminster Abbey. Huge cathedral, huge church filled with lots of nice stuff and a lot of dead bodies buried everywhere. But besides that, it was an amazing church. And as you first walk in, there's a a gigantic wing to the right, and there's a chair there. And it's kind of, actually kind of plain looking. It's big. It kind of looks uncomfortable. It's very flat. It has gold on it, and it's very large. And it is the throne of England. For over 1,200 years, every king, every queen, their coronation was they sat on that throne. And there's a stone called the, the Stone of Scott that it's an amazingly dense stone that weighs like 400 pounds that the chair attaches to. is currently detached from that stone. But that's the throne in England. It looks old, because it is. But when, when kings and queens ascend to that throne, it's more than simply walking up and sitting on the throne. At that moment, at their coronation, their relationship changes. They are the king or queen of a country. So, so think of Jesus... And he is ascended back to heaven. That's his coronation in heaven. There's a throne, as depicted in Revelation, a beautiful throne. It's not worn out. It doesn't look old. And it's the, it's the throne for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it, it was uh, empty during his 33 years. Jesus ascended back to the, to the throne in the highest place for anybody. That is our Lord. Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 2, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why is the ascension important? You're going to see this one day. You're going to see Jesus on his throne. When we, we, Paul said it's, it's better to be absent from the body, to die, to be present with the Lord. As we speak as loved ones, as Christians live out and breathe their last breath, they are brought into the presence of Jesus. And they see this glorious throne again uh, where he resides. Now, I said before that, that Jesus' ascension did not mean the end of his ministry. It means that, that Jesus has brought his ministry to an all-new level, an all-new height. The very fact that he's in heaven has expanded his power, expanded his leadership, expanded his presence, expanded his influence on this earth. Now, where do I get that from? Ephesians chapter 4. So Ephesus, again, uh, the early church, Paul started it. It's modern-day Turkey. Um, In Ephesians chapter 4, we're told this. What does Jesus ascended mean, except except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens, here's the key, in order to fill the whole universe. He ascended back to the highest place in heaven in order to fill the entire universe. Now, I don't fully comprehend this. Jesus is true God, he's true man. In his earthly ministry, he was true God and true man. But he voluntarily chose not to use all of his power as the divine. 
He humbled himself. That's why he ended up dying on a cross. But the Bible says that he ascended to the highest place in order to fill the entire universe. That tells me that Jesus now, for the last 2,000 years since his ascension, has had more influence, more power, more presence in this world than ever before. His ministry is not over. His ministry, again, has been brought to the greatest heights. Now, we say that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. In the Old Testament, there were three offices a person was anointed into. Prophet, priest, and king. Unless you were anointed by those in authority, you could not hold those offices. The Old Testament said, though, that the anointed one is coming. He'll hold all three offices, prophet, priest, and king. Right now, as Jesus sits at the highest place, everything is like a footstool to him. He perfectly holds those three offices, prophet. So when we think of his followers, again, they're attracted to his teaching. He taught with authority like none other. Jesus is still teaching. We're told this in the book of Hebrews. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. In these last days, God has spoken to us by whom? By his son, Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus right now is sustaining all things, including us, by his powerful word. He's still the prophet, proclaiming with authority. Uh, another example of this, uh, the, the gospel, the, the Acts reading. Luke writes, in my former book, Theophilus, I, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. The way that's written is, his earthly life, Luke wrote what he began to do and teach. Now that he's in heaven, he continues to do and teach. One more example, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. In Jesus' earthly ministry, he never left, well, he went to Samaria, but he left that, he was in that general region of Israel, Samaria. Jesus did not go on missionary journeys into Turkey. Yet, decades after his ascension to heaven, we're told this in Ephesians 4.20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth. Now, the NIV uses the word about, you heard about Christ. In the original Greek language, there's no about. When you heard Christ and he taught you. That tells me again that, that, that Jesus, as the ascended Lord, is very active in ministry. Now, he uses the church, he uses imperfect people like me, and he uses you as well. But Jesus is still proclaiming his word more than ever as our prophet. Now, Jesus is also the, the high priest. In the Old Testament, there were, there were men, human beings, imperfect, but still they're, they're the high priest. There's God, they're God's representatives. They, they represented the people before God, the mediator between God and men. Jesus is the perfect high priest. And, and the Bible emphasizes sometimes Jesus' divinity. Sometimes it emphasizes his humanity. And when it comes to Jesus being the priest, 
The emphasis is on his humanity. 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but that gives me comfort. That the, 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 the person who is in charge of the entire universe, no greater office, is a man. He's fully God, but he's fully human. He represents us. He, he, he became the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but he lives to pray for us. He lives to intercede for us. What an amazing thing, again, that Jesus is holding that office. Finally, prophet, priest, and king. Jesus has ascended to his throne. Everything is a footstool to him. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And as we read earlier, that he rules all things for the good of his church. That's us. All things. There's tremendous comfort in that. He doesn't say that Jesus rules the good things for the good of his church. He rules all things for the good of his church. I think of the town of Dothan in Israel. And in the town of Dothan, uh, Elisha the prophet, there were enemies and, and they were going to overtake uh, Elisha. And there was a servant of Elisha who said, we don't stand a chance, you know, we're going to die. And God said, or Elisha said to his servant, don't believe that. That God, people on God's side are greater than the enemy. And he opened his eyes, God opened the, the servant's eyes, he could see all the armies of, of Israel, angels protecting them. And God delivered Elisha at Dothan. Same town, a different person. His name is Joseph. His brothers throw him into a cistern in Dothan, to, basically to die. Joseph prays for deliverance. Did God deliver him? Well, not exactly. Um, He was sold into slavery. He became a slave in Egypt. Decades go by, he's thrown in prison. Decades go by, eventually, though, Joseph becomes the second most powerful person in Egypt and responsible for the saving of many lives. His brothers, years later, decades later, they see the brother they thought was dead. They sold into slavery. And, And Joseph said to them, What you intended to do was to harm me, but God intended it for good, the saving of many lives. Now, this leads us to the implications that that Jesus is our king, exalted in heaven. Implications are this. We'll go faster through these. Stop living in fear and dread. It's a sin to live in fear and dread. Jesus is your exalted Lord. He knows your situation. He has a plan for your life. If it's a hardship, he's still there for you. He'll give you his resurrected power to help you with it. Be humble. Be humble. God says that that we are his representatives. We're his ambassadors. God's making his appeal through us. So be humble about that. Be bold. It's a sin to be timid when it comes to Christ and what he has done for you. We're to be bold in our proclamation of who Jesus is and how he has transformed our lives. Be joyful always. Paul said it, in good times and bad times, be joyful always. There's always a reason to be joyful. Jesus lives. He is exalted. And again, he's not going to uh, leave you in your difficulty forever. Finally, live your lives with confidence. Confidence, not in yourself, but confidence in the king who died for you, has been raised again, and is ruling all things in your life for your good.
My friends, the ascension of Jesus is a big deal. Visualize him in heaven. Praise him, worship him. Again, see him for what he is. And one day, you're going to see the very king who did all these things for you. What a glorious day that will be. Amen. May the true peace of God, which surpasses our understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.